Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, friends, I meant to say at the beginning of Mass, two comments. The first is, uh, I just ask you to keep in prayer um, a little girl from my parish. Her name is Eloise. She was born on Monday. She's in the NICU right now, and uh, doctors are hoping that they can get some of this blockage in her stomach cleared out so they don't have to do surgery on her. So keep in your prayers, Eloise. That's the first thing. I also meant to mention that I'm offering Mass tonight for the Serenos, in the back of the uh, chapel here for their 50th wedding anniversary. So we're offering Mass tonight for them on their 50th wedding anniversary. I think that deserves a round of applause for them. There's something in that first reading, 120 years undimmed in the eyes. Jerry, is that how it goes? Is that what you said? Yeah. That's how he looks at you, Donna. You know, undimmed in the eyes. Oh, beautiful. Okay. All right, so this is where I want to go tonight. I want to take us to uh, reflect on the, the psalm that we just said, the, the responsorial psalm. Blessed be God who filled my soul with fire. That was not very fiery. We'll see how this goes at the end. Blessed be God who filled my soul with fire. Um, what in the world does that mean? What in the world does that mean? I want to start with this. This interesting scene from one of the Gospels where Jesus is traveling with the apostles. They're going to Samaritan towns, and James and John, right, the brothers Zebedee, they are indignant that these Samaritan villages are refusing to allow Jesus to come into their village. And they think the thing that Jesus wants to hear is what they say, which is, Lord, do you want us to call down fire upon them? It's like, whoa, okay, boys, calm down, right? This is where they get the nickname, uh, the Sons of Thunder. It's well-earned, right? I don't think it had to do with intestinal issues. I think it's this kind of thing where they get this nickname. Lord, do you want us to call down fire upon them? And Jesus ultimately says to them, um, no, no, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. Not just simply because that's ridiculous, boys. That's not what we're here to do. But even more to the point, no, I don't want you to do that because that's actually not your job. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm here to do. I'm actually here to call down fire upon the earth. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, we hear Jesus say, I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already blazing. Like there is in the heart, heart of the Lord this desire to see fire upon the earth. Now, what is this fire that he's talking about? It's, it's unlike any fire that you and I have ever seen, right? It's unlike the fire that's burning in these candles right now. It's unlike the fire that's tragically sweeping through Hawaii. How awful are those images, by the way? We should keep those folks in our prayers too. But like this devastation, right? Or who could forget the devastation? I think it was 2019, right? Notre Dame engulfed in flames. It was the beginning of Holy Week. If you remember that, it was the beginning of Holy Week, which was just horrifying. Like those images will be burned in my mind, no pun intended. But seeing that beautiful church consumed with fire. But what is, what is God's fire? What is this fire that we're talking about? Well, turn in your minds to Exodus chapter 3. I'm so glad all of you brought your Bibles tonight. Um, okay, cool. All right, so anyway, Exodus chapter 3, where the Lord encounters Moses in the burning bush, right? Moses is tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. He sees this strange sight, this bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed. And he 
draws nearer to the bush. And the bush, of course, the Lord speaks through the bush and calls Moses to become the great deliverer. But it's this, it's the oddity of the bush that it's on fire, but it's not consumed, right? It's on fire, but not consumed. This is the Lord's fire. It's the fire of his love, the fire of his glory. This is, this is his heart that we're seeing really here, right? Any saint or mystic who's ever seen an image of the sacred heart, they all basically can only stammer one thing afterwards, which is fire. It's just filled with fire, right? So much fire. Catherine of Siena, this is what she sees. St. Margaret Mary, this is what she sees. Fire in the heart of the Lord. Or think of the letter of the Hebrews, right? When he's talking about our God is this all-consuming fire. This is his love. This is his charity. This is the desire of our God, right? Our God who identifies himself as a bridegroom lover, as a bridegroom lover. I think the church in recent years and decades, I think, has gotten more accustomed to this imagery that certainly has come from St. John Paul II, his articulation of the spousal mystery that at the heart of Christianity, like the, the stunning proposal that's at the heart of Christianity is that there is a stunning proposal at the heart of Christianity, that we have a God who is a bridegroom who comes to humanity, like not just simply interested in being friends, not just simply interested in a personal relationship, but we have a God who comes to humanity, who bends the knee before humanity and essentially says, will you let me in? Like, will you let the fire that's within me essentially impregnate and fill you? Right? That's the desire in the Lord's heart. He wants to see accomplished in us what he accomplished in his mother. Right? This is, this is something that hit me. This is maybe two, three years ago now. I was praying in front of this image of Our Lady Guadalupe, which one of the, I don't know, greatest Marian apparitions, the first Marian apparition. Anyway, Mary appears in that image clothed in the sun, right? Clothed in the sun. And what is the sun? It's a big fireball, right? 93 million some odd miles away, so far away, in fact, that if it was any closer, none of us would be here, right? It has to be that far away so we don't get incinerated. And Mary's just clothed in the sun. She's just wearing the sun. And I was sitting there staring at this image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and it it suddenly occurred to me that, like, Oh, she's, she's what we're all supposed to be. Like she's, she's the norm. She's the rule. She's, we're, we're, in other words, we're the odd ones. We're the aberration from the norm. She's what humanity is, right? You want to know what humanity's supposed to be? Look at her, right? This woman who is clothed in the sun, completely filled and permeated with divine fire and glory. Like this is, this is what the Lord does when he, when, when his saints allow him to draw close, when they do, when his saints do what Mary did, which is open yourself to receive this spark of divine fire. Right? People tell stories about Mother Teresa that literally you could feel heat emanating from her body. There were film crews who would go to India to, to, to try and film documentaries about her. And they would do, you know, days of shooting and they would come back and they would, you know, process the film and all the film would be destroyed it would be unusable because it'd be so overexposed as if it was blasted by this radiant light like what the heck is that that is someone who has been filled with this fire right lord you have filled my soul with fire 
He wants to see accomplished in us what he accomplished in his mother. And this is where the enemy, this is where the enemy whispers one of his most seductive lies. It's his original lie, which is he suggests that there's an inverse relationship between humanity and divinity. That you let God get close and you will be compromised. More God, less you. That's how the enemy convinces us to keep God at a distance, right? More God, less you. Greater glory to God, diminished humanity. He's a fire that consumes, that burns up, that destroys, that shrub will be gone if you let the Lord get close to it, right? If you let the Lord get close to your life, if you let the Lord get close to your marriage, if you let the Lord really get close to your business, to everything that you're dealing with, you will lose, is what the enemy says. You will lose. But it's not the truth. It's not the truth. It's just, a, it's just a stunning thing when you think about how the Lord begins to put this fire in us, that it, every one of us for our, at our baptism, it's through baptism, is how he begins to pour the fire into us. Like, I love the Lord's poetry, right? Through the symbolism of water is how he pours fire into us. That's so cool. He pours fire into us through that. And then through every reception of the Eucharist, we become like Isaiah. Think about Isaiah, where the Lord pulled a coal from the altar of incense and placed the coal to Isaiah's lips, right? We receive, like, like imagine reaching into the furnace of the Lord's sacred heart and removing a coal, like a, a particle of his heart, and then you get to receive it. It's what happens at every single Mass. Every single Mass. I want to end with this. Just some reflections from a guy named Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, who's a, a brilliant liturgical theologian. Listen to this. Imagine eating the sun and imagine you could do it without perishing. What would happen? You would receive into your body the source of light and warmth. You would have within you all the light and heat that you could possibly ever need or want. No more heating bills, no more light bulbs, no more winter trips to warmer climates. When we receive Jesus in the most blessed sacrament, we receive the source of all supernatural light and warmth, the light of truth, the heat of love, for indeed he is the son of justice. We receive God himself, the very son of God, who is inseparable from the Father and the Holy Spirit. That we are not killed instantly by this contact with eternal and infinite fire is, in its own way, a greater miracle than would be eating the sun without perishing. I'm going to reread that. I want you to hear that again. That we are not killed instantly by this contact with eternal and infinite fire is in its own way a greater miracle than would be eating the sun without perishing. Our Lord protects us courteously, hiding his blazing glory, lest we be overwhelmed and gently radiating his peace. It is because we receive divine fire, a fire far more potent in the range and reach of its possible spiritual effects than any physical fire, that the worthy reception of the Eucharist is purifying, illuminating, and unitive. The Holy Eucharist does within and upon the soul that which fire does within and upon combustible matter, burning away contrary dispositions and transforming the matter into itself. But since the, spiritual, since the spiritual soul is incorruptible, 
the soul can become fire without perishing, like the miraculous burning bush. The Eucharist does for the soul what the fire of the sun does for the earth, spreading light, warming bodies, causing growth. Friends, there's no like, okay, and now, therefore, I want you to do this at the end of this homily. I just want you to sit in that. Like, just kind of be like overwhelmed that you, God willing, are going to live after you receive this fire. Like somehow we won't perish. If this is what we say it is, if this is what we say it is, the audacity to draw near. How brave are we to come near to this fire? Blessed be God who indeed filled and who fills my soul with fire. Amen.